Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, April 21st, and today I'll be speaking with Eric Gardner about the looming IP apocalypse in Hollywood. And later on in the show, Puck's executive editor, Ben Landy, stops by to talk about Netflix's stock woes and what their CEO, Reed Hastings, might be doing to fix it. We hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Welcome to Thursday, everybody. The weekend is almost here. It is April. It is not anywhere close to Halloween, but... Our legal maven, Eric Gardner, has a piece up on Puck called Hollywood's Marvel Disney Horror Story. And Eric writes that studios are now bracing for mass casualties. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Good to hear. So what is the story uh, behind this bloodbath that's about to happen in the legal sense, of course? Sure. Well, as everyone knows, the copyright term gets longer and longer. I mean... It's famously known as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. As, as Mickey Mouse gets closer to the public domain, the Congress keeps you know, extending the copyright term by decades. So that's what happened in the 1970s. But there was a twist when they did it because they decided that it shouldn't be the studio who was granted the rights that would be able to enjoy the latter part of the copyright term, but rather the authors who had made it and then signed over their rights when they were young and up and coming and didn't have much bargaining power. They would have to wait a long time, say 35 years, and then they can send the termination notice to the studio and, and basically get back all the rights. So if you do the math right now, 35 years ago was 1987. So all the authors of, of works from 1987, they're sending in their ter- termination notices and they're grabbing back big properties like RoboCop and Beetlejuice. So basically what you're saying is a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Washington, D.C., people decided that authors would have to wait a very long time until they could reclaim ownership of the big, in some cases, the big franchises that they wrote. Uh, you, you know, you write in the piece, everything from Ace Ventura to Nightmare on Elm Street to Who Framed Roger Rabbit to Mrs. Doubtfire. Is this also going to affect Marvel? Absolutely. This is a ticking time bomb that, that pretty much affects everyone who's been doing, doing business in Hollywood for decades and even beyond that. I mean, we're seeing terminations in all sorts of realms, including the, the Philadelphia Phillies mascot. The person who created the Philadelphia Phillies mascot <laughs> has terminated the team's right to that. So anyway, yes, uh, Marvel famously came in the golden age of comics in the 1960s, and they, they had these stable of writers and illustrators all working as freelancers who were contributing, you know, characters and illustrations and decades have gone by. And now all of a sudden these, these, you know, illustrators and writers and more specifically their heirs are sending termination notices into Marvel and Disney and saying, we want to reclaim at least partial ownership of these characters. And that's a huge thing. I mean, these, you know, Avengers movies make Billions around the, around the globe. So if they're, you know, getting a, a profit stake to that and Disney's giving up, it, it changes the whole economics of making a Marvel movie. What does a termination look like? And does that automatically mean that the creator is suddenly going to start shopping his 
property around to a bunch of different studios and, and sell to the highest bidder. Right. So uh, first of all, to get your first question first, the termination is just identifies the copyrighted work. It you know identifies how it was registered, what year it was, and basically gives a, a, a notice that effective on a certain date, I'm going to be reclaiming, recapturing the rights to this, and, and, and you're going to have to give up. What happens in practice, and this has been especially true in the music industry, which has been dealing with this for, for almost a decade now, is that a termination notice becomes a prelude to a negotiation. The studio, the recording label gets a termination notice and they say, wait one second, you know, we're still in the, in the best position to distribute this work. Why don't you give us another chance? And what we'll do is, you know, you have you know, 5% backend profit participation right now. Let's say we bump that up to 25% mm-hmm. or let, let's, well, let's bump it up to 50%. So all of a sudden the authors get much more generous terms and they might reassign the copyright to the same studio. That's what often happens, but not always. Sometimes, you know, the studio just can't come to a deal and it does get reclaimed or sometimes it goes to court because the the studio will say, you know, you were really our employee at the time and we are the author for purposes of copyright. And so you have no power whatsoever to terminate. And that's exactly what's going on right now with all these Marvel superheroes is that Disney is saying that these illustrators were working basically as hired guns back in the 1960s and uh, and that they don't really have a, any power to terminate. It feels like Hollywood in a lot of ways has lost its imagination and they just always fall back on doing remakes. You know, it could be, you know, Die Hard or the second point break movie or any Batman. This feels like a particularly fraught issue because there are so many remakes just happening all the time in Hollywood and spinoff franchises on the streamers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, these movies cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And when when something costs that much, you tend to be risk averse. And when you're risk averse, you want to go to something that has worked in the past, which is, you know, you know, some big uh, blockbuster franchise. So you're going to make sequels, you're going to make, make remakes of those because you know that the audiences are already built into those properties and you have a track record that you could point to. The second thing is, you know, now that, that these streamers are coming along, all these streamers want to extend the universe for all these properties. So if you think of, you know, the Marvel movies, you have like Loki and all that. And and so they're trying to get as much bang for the buck from these franchises as, as they can licensing basically to themselves, the right to make derivative properties from these franchises. Do you have any sense if younger writers, designers, like all the kinds of people that work in Hollywood you're talking about, the people that are coming up right now, are they looking at this and trying to take a different path when it comes to selling and licensing their content? You know, I, I think that uh, certainly there is more healthy appreciation of independence these days. We're living in the gig economy and there, you know, is a sense of, I don't need to work for a big studio to really make it anymore. There are platforms and easier ways to go straight to the audience. And so 
there's a lot of questioning. Do I really need to align myself to a big studio? And so, you know, the deals that they're trying to cut are ones that kind of retain rights to, to this thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they've thought too much yet about termination, but, you know, this sort of stuff will, might become important for them in, in a few decades when the benefits of staying independent pay off because, you know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll continue to own these, you know, valuable properties that just grow and grow and grow. Eric, thank you so much for joining us and explaining this. You're always so good at making all of this legal mumbo jumbo seem <laughs> understandable and accessible to people like me. I'm also like when I read your piece, I saw all these names like Nightmare on Elm Street, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mrs. Doubtfire, Hoosiers, you know, and I'm just like, all I'm thinking is studios at some point in the next few years are just going to go back to the barrel and like remake these franchises or these like hit films and try to do them all over again. Or Nightmare, they might have to come up with original ideas. (laughs) Well, maybe Bad Boys 4 will have uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock teaming up. Maybe that's that's an original idea for me. You heard it here first. Uh, All right. Thanks, Eric. See you next time. Thank you. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everyone. Now, let's take a quick minute to check in with Ben Landy, our executive editor at Puck, to see what's going on in his world right now. Thanks, Peter. I've got a couple of stories on my radar this week that we're watching closely. The first is what I expect could be a Quibi-like reversal at CNN+. They've been posting some pretty underwhelming early subscriber numbers. I mentioned the other week how CNN's parent company is in a sort of catch-22 where they probably need to invest more in the service to get more subscriptions. Or they could cut back, but basically torpedo their own investment thus far, which is around $300 million. That's a lot of money already in the hole. But it now looks like David Zaslav, who is now overseeing that combined company, may be pulling the plug, at least on the external advertising for CNN Plus thus far. That could be the prelude to deeper cuts. We'll see what happens, but it does look like Zaslav is telegraphing a more hard-nosed move to save money here. He's got about $3 billion in synergies that he's promised. He is a guy who's known to 
like to hobnob with talent. He is popular out in Hollywood, but he's also a guy with a reputation for knowing how to manage his PL and who knows how to impose ruthless budgetary efficiency on his programming when he needs to. And speaking of money losing ventures, we're watching a pretty remarkable bursting of the Netflix stock bubble this week. The company dropped another 30% in market value yesterday after another stunning 20% drop before that. So Netflix has now lost hundreds of thousands of subscribers, 200,000 overall worldwide. That's as the streaming competition is heating up. Monthly subscription costs have increased along with everything else. So customers are feeling the pinch from inflation. They're looking at their bill for Netflix. And apparently a lot of them are looking to downsize. What's even more interesting to me is the fact that Netflix appears to be changing its tune on advertising, which is something that Reed Hastings, the CEO, always said Netflix was not going to do. Now that Netflix is sort of in a pinch, they're looking at that and reevaluating, saying they are going to have a hybrid tier in the future that is ad-supported and cheaper. Netflix is also saying they're going to crack down on password sharing, which is probably letting tens or hundreds of millions of households get away with watching Netflix content without paying for it. Presumably, they're not going to be able to convert all of those people with a more aggressive crackdown. I don't know that they're going to be able to convert all of those people with more stringent tactics if people aren't ready to pay more money for that content, especially when the content, to be honest, is not always that good. So that does explain the idea for a cheaper ad-supported tier, but Netflix has a huge amount of work to do in actually building out that product And it does mean that they are behind the other streamers that have gotten a head start here. So we'll see how it all nets out. But it is funny to me that for all the jokes about how cable TV was going to unbundle and then rebundle in the streaming world, that does look to be exactly what's happening. We've had a wave of consolidation, and now that's being followed by ad-supported tiers being offered from HBO Max, Disney, Paramount, Peacock. Netflix is now getting into this game. So everything that's old is new again in media, but perhaps just a little bit different. Okay, that's all for me. Thanks very much, Peter. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 